Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word to which we draw our attention today is our epistle reading from 2 Peter chapter 3. Please rise as we hear again verses 8 and 9 of that passage. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, for the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow to do what he promised, as some consider slowness. Instead, he is patient for your sakes, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Thus far the text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. You probably know what house rules are. Maybe you had those as you were growing up. Maybe you have them now in your household. But generally, they're rules that, that the parents establish for the household. And, and maybe they change as the children grow older. But they're, they're rules kind of like, well, no inappropriate language in the house. So no yelling or name-calling or cursing or swearing. No inappropriate behavior. Maybe no running no putting your feet on the furniture, no running around and, and breaking things. Or maybe there are rules about no phones at the table. That's probably been one that has had to come about in the last 10 years or so. And maybe as the, the young people get a little bit older, you set rules about, well, when's a good time for them to be home by? Some sort of a curfew. And the list can go on and on. So what about the rules of life in general? Now some people would say, well, the rule to live by is the golden rule. Do unto others, etc. Some people would say, well, the Bible has all the rules we need, the, the Ten Commandments and all the other rules. Still others would say that the Bible is their rule book in general. And that's true to, to some extent. But we have to be careful about calling the Bible a rule book per se. Yes, it's got all kinds of God's rules and laws, the Ten Commandments and, and others. And yes, it is all true, the Bible, because God is the one who spoke it. He inspired men to write it down. But to say that it's a rule book would imply that it's got every rule that we need to live our life. Well, does it have the specific rules for every person in in every situation? Let's take the Lord's Supper, for example. How often are we supposed to take the Lord's Supper? Well, there is no rule that says we have to take it once every week or month or year or something. It just says we take it often. The Bible, in many ways, presents all kinds of principles or guidelines for us to follow. Now, this particular portion of God's Word that we're looking at today does have some some particular rules to live by. During these Sundays in Advent, we're, we're focusing on the second coming of our Savior Jesus. And that's what Peter is addressing in this, this final part of his second letter. And what he tells us in this passage is that, that God gives us rules to live by from now until the end of the world. There are three rules we're going to think about today. The first one is be patient. Peter makes one fact very clear in this passage that 
One reason it's hard for us to be patient is that God's way of thinking about time is different from ours. Peter says, For the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. We know that God is, is in eternity. He operates outside of time. And that's something really that our finite minds have a hard time comprehending. We can't understand it fully. Because our minds are so bound to thinking only in terms of time. And, and so to contemplate reality outside of that, in eternity, that's something we, we really can't do very well. Now in Peter's day, this problem was showing itself in, in a certain way. He says just before our passage, Know this, in the last days, scoffers will come with their mocking, following their own lusts. They will say, where is this promised coming of his? For from the time that our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have from the beginning of the creation. So there were people in Peter's day that were saying, well, Jesus said he was going to come and he was going to come soon, but it hasn't happened yet. And so maybe God, maybe Jesus wasn't telling the truth. Maybe he was lying. Maybe he isn't really coming back soon. And you see the problem there. The people were thinking only in terms of time, the way we think about time, and not in terms of how God thinks about time. For God, for, for Jesus especially, for him to say he's coming back soon, well, that's soon according to his timetable. And so Peter refutes this false notion by, by emphasizing that God is not bound by time and that he will come jesus will come when he is ready and maybe we do the same sort of thing today the the kind of complaining that peter's talking about the scoffing and and wondering well why hasn't jesus come back yet i mean we look at the world around us we look at our own lives and and the problems the 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 chaos in the world around us the problems we have in our own lives and we would much rather that jesus just come back and be done with everything so that we can be in heaven. Well, again, Jesus operates outside of time. He's not bound by time, so we have to be patient. We need to be patient and wait for him to operate according to his timetable. But Jesus has a purpose in delaying as we would think of it, he has a purpose in doing that, in, in keeping his return, uh, uh, keeping it uh, that it's going to be at a certain time. He says, uh, he is patient for your sakes, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, Peter's talking about two different groups of people here. He's talking about you, and he's talking about others. Jesus doesn't want you to be punished eternally in hell. And so he's patient. He wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to be brought to believe in him. But Jesus also doesn't want others to perish. He wants to give everyone a chance to repent of their sins and be brought to believe in Jesus for their salvation. Now, how does he get that message out? How does he tell other people, these others, how do they hear about Jesus and, and his plan for them? Well, we know those familiar words in Matthew 28. 
Go, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them and by teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You carry out this commission. You carry it out when you bring your children to be baptized. You carry it out when you train up your children in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. You carry out this commission when you, when you share God's word with, with everyone around you, especially your family and, and also your friends. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that, that you need to be speaking God's word constantly. You speak to someone about your Savior when you have the opportunity. Maybe you even invite someone to come to church so that they can hear God's word there. But you also live your life as a child of God, witnessing to the power of the gospel that has made that change in your heart. And you do this in whatever situation in life that, that God has put you in. Whether you're a husband, a wife, a, a father, a mother, a child, a student, an employer, an employee, whatever place he has put you, that's where you witness to your faith. That's probably a very powerful witness as you live what you believe and people look at you and and ask then why do you live in that particular way and you get the opportunity then to tell them about your savior the savior who's created faith in you the savior who has saved you from death and hell so be patient be patient for the lord's return because this life is filled with with many troubles and problems and and again, we probably want it to be done with sooner than later. But Peter says, be patient. And the second rule that we need to live by from now until the end of the world is be perfect. Perfect. Is that something that you can do? Well, can you be perfect in everything that you, that you think? Everything that you say? everything that you do well that's what's required of you on the day when jesus returns which again peter says is going to come like a thief in verse 11 peter said therefore since all these things will be destroyed what kind of people ought you to be living in holiness and godliness and in verse 14 he says make every effort to be found in peace spotless and blameless in his sight that is when he comes back well, that's a tall order to fill, right? You know very well that you don't live your life in that way, that you're not always holy and godly, that you're not spotless and blameless in what you do. You're the exact opposite many times. You do exactly what God says not to, or you don't do what he tells you to do. So in your thoughts, you harbor uh, anger and harbor resentment towards someone who's done something wrong against you maybe you lust after someone who is not your spouse maybe you greedily contemplate how to fudge just a little bit on your taxes this next year and you know you're not always godly in your words because you speak harshly against someone you speak out in anger against those who are close to you maybe you you even curse god for for how your life is turning out that it's not going the way you want it to. And you know you're not always holy and godly in your actions. Maybe as you, you take some small item from work that doesn't belong to you 
or as you cheat just a little bit on a test, or as you, you shy away from studying and, and meditating on God's Word on a regular basis. Now, we could continue on because we know that our lives are filled with, with all kinds of sin, but, but you get the point. We deserve the judgment that is supposed to come to us, especially at the end of the world. We deserve all of God's wrath because of our unholy and ungodly lives. So can we be perfect? No. And yes. In fact, you are perfect through Jesus Christ. Peter stated that we needed to be spotless and blameless. Now, does that description fit you? No. But whom does it fit? It fits Jesus. That's how Peter describes Jesus in his first letter, that he is the lamb without blemish or spot. In other words, he is the perfect sacrifice for sin. That was what the Old Testament required, that the lamb would be perfect and, and spotless, without blemish. And Jesus lived that way. He never once sinned during his entire life on this earth. He never cursed God, but he praised God, and he always lived according to his will. He never tried to cheat anyone out of anything, but instead he, he gave and gave and gave as he blessed people in all kinds of ways. Jesus remained perfect and holy, and then he went and sacrificed himself on the cross for you. Imagine taking a test, and you took that test and you came away from that thinking that you had blown it so badly that maybe you got one or two of the answers right. But you get your test back, and what does it have across the top? It says 100%. How did that happen? Well, that's what Jesus has done for you. He didn't keep his perfection, his spotlessness to himself. When you were baptized, that's what Jesus gave to you. He gave you his perfection. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he also says in Galatians 3, all of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now we know that picture pretty well of, of being baptized into Christ and, and his perfection, his perfect life being wrapped around us like a, like a spotless robe. And he gave that perfect life to you. The life that he lived on this earth, he gives it to you when he made you his own. And so as you continue to trust in him, as you continue to live in faith, you continue living in holiness and godliness, and therefore you continue to be perfect. So be patient, be perfect. Two rules to live by. And the final rule that Peter stresses that we need to live by from now to the end of the world is to be at peace. Now, to tell you to be at peace implies that, that you're at war with, with someone. And you may be thinking that in your life in general, this is true because there are all kinds of people that you have problems with, problems where they're attacking you for this, that, and the other and that you may feel like you don't have peace in your life. And that's part of what Peter's talking about here, but it's really a, a product of the peace that he focuses on. 
The peace that he's focusing on is the peace that you're to have with God. So are you at war with God? Well, that sounds pretty harsh to say that you are fighting against God. But really, that's, that's what we do as sinful people. Paul makes it clear in Romans 8. He says the, the sinful mind hates God. Yes, it refuses to be subordinate to God's law because it cannot obey it. And what that means that, that you, on your own, apart from Christ, you are fighting against God and His will for your life. You don't do what He wants you to do. You do exactly the opposite. And since you sin in this way, we know God makes it very clear that you're supposed to die. The wages of sin is death. We know those words of Paul in Romans. In other words, you don't have peace with God. But, but it's one of the rules that we're supposed to live by, right? So how are we supposed to have peace with God? Well, it's the, the same way that we're to be perfect. It's through Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus not only lived a perfect life in your place and then gave you that perfect life, gave you credit for it, he also took the punishment that you were supposed to take for your sins. Isaiah says in his 53rd chapter, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our peace fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. There was a price that needed to be paid because of your sin, and you don't have to pay it because Jesus paid it for you. That's the peace that he was punished for. And that's amazing news. Trusting in Christ for your salvation, you have peace with God. Paul says in Romans 5, now that we are justified, that we are declared righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus returns at the end of the world, you don't have to be worried about being at war with God because you have peace with him. Jesus himself established that peace. And so he is going to take you to heaven because you are his child, because you are his heir, and not, and, and not uh, that you are his enemy. So the rules to live by from now to the end of the world really aren't hard to follow in one sense because really it's talking about what we do as Christians, what we do as we live our Christian life. Now, it's not easy. We know that, that it's not easy to live as one of God's people. Even as Christians, we, we know it's hard to be patient. It's hard to be perfect. It's hard to be at peace with God. We still have sin in our lives, and that's a problem that we're going to have until Jesus comes back and, and takes us to be with him. But the same God who sets the rules also grants us the strength to be able to live according to those rules. Through his word, through his sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, he strengthens us in our Christian lives so that we can live in faith according to what he wants us to do. More importantly, most importantly, Jesus has already lived all of these rules for us. And through him, you will endure from now until the end of the world. Amen.